So a friend of mine recently reminded me of a great saying that goes that the relationship between you and your to-do list, it's a thing called attitude. It's like that great saying from Henry Ford that goes, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably right. Or you can take the attitude my dad had about fixing things around the house, and he used to say, if it can't be fixed with WD-40 or duct tape, you need a new one. Now that's attitude. So I've noticed that we're worrying a lot more these days about our own to-do lists, our own things-to-fix lists, and worrying how we're ever going to fix things that might be beyond our capability. We just throw them out sometimes. We give up on them before they have a chance to be fixed. It feels like some things are just so broken we should give up on them. Things like Trump's hair or The Walking Dead. Did you get a load of that finale? Automated messages on Twitter or Instagram. For the love of John, people, just stop this one. The interface to Forbes magazine. No, I do not need a quote of the day. Spider-Man movies. Spider-Man movies are broken. We do not need to see Uncle Ben die any longer. Pop music. Country music. They're the same these days. Broken. Kale. Kale. Just kale. It's broken. Mashed potatoes are broken. Mashed cauliflower, parsnips, carrots. Why are we trying to make mashed potatoes out of everything that aren't mashed potatoes? Anyway, more often than not, it's our own world we're trying to fix. And that's the theme for today's show. Broken things. The things we want to fix. The things we feel like we can fix. Because remember... Just because something's broken doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Just because something's hard or broken doesn't mean it's not worth repairing or trying again. We're not perfect. And we'll make mistakes. We'll break things. Rather than just throw them out, maybe we should just take the first step. Recognizing that it is broken is the first step to fixing it. And with that, I've got a big old can of WD-40 and a roll of duct tape. Let's get this show started. You ready? Let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 127 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Monday, April 17th, 2016. And with me, as always, my friend, my co-host, my colleague, and the Mr. Fix-It man of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Welcome to San Diego. Welcome. Yes, exactly. I arrived in San Diego a few hours ago for Social Media Marketing World, and I take it you have as well. I have indeed. I am here in the lovely Marriott Marquis, I think probably three or four floors above you. <laughs> um, no. What floor yeah. are you on? Seriously. I'm on the 18th floor. Oh, you got me again. Yeah, I'm on 16. Oh, there you go. But I'm, I have a lovely view close. of the bay. Yeah, the bay is beautiful and it's, uh, I'm looking forward. It's going to, this is my first time here and my first time just, well, obviously my first time here is my first time to speak here, but it's, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. After much lobbying, we finally got Sir Robert on the speaker list. It only took four years, but we did it. We did it. And uh, it'll be fun. No, I mean, yeah. I usually have to go down and do these, you know, go out and do the speaker party and go to the uh, the big battleship that they have their opening reception every year. And I'm all by myself and I get very lonely. And now oh, I've got... Oh, no. You know, all right. I well. know. Now, now you'll be with me. It'll be We'll go as a nice. date. We'll go as a date, Joe. 
We could record an extra podcast for people. I'm sure they'll love that. <laughs> I'm sure they'll love that. They yeah. don't we should care. warn people. Well, we should warn people, and, and you and I have done this before. It seems like Sunday afternoons once yeah. we record, <laughs> weird things happen. They go a so little this, off the rails. <laughs> this could be one of those shows. So just throwing yes. it out there. This is a yeah, nice disclaimer that this show might, might really be bad. Might exactly not be right. So. Exactly right. Well, and so to that... We should get to our first news item here. Let's do it. Yeah, set the low is, expectations. Let's yeah, go. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, yeah. And so this one, I mean, just to get us started off on the, the wrong foot, as it were, um, we're going to pair two articles together here. The first one, which is making the rounds of social media um, and everybody commenting on it, it comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch. Um, and the headline of the article is, Everything the Tech World Says About Marketing is Wrong. Uh, and we're going to pair it with an article from Marketing Land, which is entitled, Content Marketing's Echo Chamber. Big hat tip here, by the way, to Craig Gibson, who sent this over via the hashtag on Twitter. And so thank you, Craig, for that. Um, the lead to the TechCrunch article starts out by saying, The biggest problem in marketing in the tech world today is that too many marketers do not know the first thing about marketing. Digital marketers, who as marketers really should be cynical enough to know better, have fallen into an echo chamber of meaningless buzzwords. First, the phrase inbound marketing was invented and popularized by HubSpot. And then, of course, the content marketing uh, buzzword invented by this guy, Joe Polizzi, who is out to sell tickets to events and training. Um, so let's start with this one here first. Uh, you know, so I, I commented on this article and, and I have my issues with it, but I wanted to get your take on this first. Yeah, it, it wasn't um, it didn't make us look very very nice, actually. And, yeah, uh, and I'm glad you commented. You, you had a very good comment, and I know we'll talk about it here. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking that shot because I didn't. It, it's very hard when when somebody you know takes a direct shot at you <clears throat> and says that you know something that you you know believed in and you've based your your career on for the last sixteen years doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. I didn't exactly. know this. I yeah, I would have had a little bit of an else. existential moment there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> I'm we like, oh my uh, gosh, what what have I been doing for the past <laughs> sixteen right. years? This is horrible. Exactly. I mean, go go tell my wife and kids I've literally been doing nothing. But anyways, uh, I do have to a couple things because I really want you had a great comment and I want you to talk about that a little bit. Uh, but the fir first off, the statement at the start of this article and it actually gets into a little bit of Dan Lyons' book, Disrupted, and I'm going to talk about that later. So I don't want to get into it now. But but the author states HubSpot's first hires included a head of sales and a head of marketing. Halligan and Darmesh Shaw, the, the, the uh, founders, filled these positions even though they had no product to sell and didn't even know what the product they were going to make. Uh, HubSpot started out as a sales operation in search of a product. Now, I have a take with, I have a problem with this because the author... Well, it's not true, first like of all. Negative. I mean, it, yeah, it, well... well it's it, not yeah. true, it, 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 but, but the point is, is that let's say that it was true. I don't have a problem with that because that's my, that my last book that I wrote. Yeah, exactly. Is based right. off of that, it's that exact premise. It's like focus on an audience, solve right. their pain points, build that audience that lo that they know, like, and trust you, and, and then, then figure out what they need. Your audience will tell you. Well, right. your audience will tell you and give you insight as to what you should launch. And of course, we did that at Content Marketing Institute as well. So, I, you know, I had a. I'd like, and I wanted to get your take on the whole contrarian bit because I like the fact that this was. A, I like contrarian articles; it's great. But right off the bat, starts out with a definition of content marketing on Wikipedia that is not the definition I would use. Well, he followed the he followed our classic recipe, right? The recipe that I talked about three or four shows ago, 
which is mischaracterize the practice and then say everything the practice isn't and talk about why it's, you know, horrible. And then, you know, cut, you know, bake it up and and seen and 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 yeah so he followed yep. that part of the article he followed the recipe perfectly but anyway go ahead yeah and well and then going through lists all these uh you know dollar shave club and all these other examples this is not content marketing yeah you're right it's not it, yes like we're not it's not content marketing and then it's like oh content marketing is it, it, this brand new thing that's made up and like it's almost like we made it out of thin air, but it's been around obviously for a long time, hundreds of years. We never say that it's new. We never, and then goes on to say things like, uh, you, you know, you can't just do content marketing or inbound marketing in replacement of advertising and PR, which we never ever would say. Um, so you know, it's just it, it was hard for me to take the rest. I thought there was actually some good points in this. Uh, well, that's I, that's. I want to get yours here. Yeah, that's the thing here. I mean, look. I mean, it is rare that uh, you know, as a guy, you know, and one of the things that I said in my in my comment was, look, I am a guy steeped like uh, you know, like black tea. I am steeped in the history of marketing, and and what I say in the comment is to an annoying degree in many cases. Right? I there is. There are times when my colleagues will roll their eyes and, oh, my God, here he goes again with yet another history lesson. And so the whole point, the the point of his article, which I actually embedded in there, agreed with and said so in in the column, which is today's marketers don't know enough about the history and the, the, the sort of classic practices of the four P's of marketing. Totally 100% agree with that. Get it. Got it. Great. Stop there. Just write an article about that, about how awesome the classic practices of the four P's of marketing are, how they're still relevant today, and how this – and I have to admit a very complicated chart that he put together about – the way it all applies to tech marketing but you know but show that why take the extra step of tearing down two evolutionary models of marketing whether you agree with them or not they exist but if you don't agree with them just leave them out of the piece just there's the the only point in making the 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 tear down of content marketing and inbound marketing is so that you sort of illustrate that you're taking this contrarian approach. And so great. And to to your question, you know, great. He took a contrarian approach and hats off to him. He's got 80 yep. plus comments at this point, right? Of people either going, "Hats off to you, sir," and this is a great article and thanks for stirring up the conversation to people who are like, "Are you smoking crack? Are you, this is ridiculous." And so he definitely stirred something up here. But I guess the, 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 the only point I had was not that he stirred something up. I think that's wonderful that he started a discussion. Great. But why do you got to tear down people in the same breath, right? I mean, there was no reason in that article for him to take a swipe at us by saying our only motivation is to sell tickets and to sell training. That's, I mean, that's just, it's just mean. And and so when you get mean, that's when I get, that's when I sort of turn snarky. And, and so, you know, the, the, the telling young marketers that they shouldn't pay attention to the evolution of marketing, which every scholar going back to Kotler and Theodore Levitt and Peter Drucker and everybody going back would tell you that marketing will has and will always continue to evolve exponentially. 
that's just bad advice. It's just bad advice to tell kids not to actually look at these new practices. Should they look at the history? Absolutely, they should look at the history. Should they look at the best practices of the four Ps? Absolutely. Should they understand Levitt? Yes. Kotler? Yes. Should they understand the errors of marketing? Yes. They should understand all of those things, but they should understand it in the context of how it's actually changing today. And that was the biggest challenge I had with this was his sort of dismissive attitude toward anything new. Well, I think that, yes, you're absolutely right. I guess the one thing that he sort of lumps social media marketing, inbound marketing, and content marketing together and say they don't even exist. And I think you make a really good point to say, uh, and I don't even know if you did this in the in the, your comment, but you've obviously mentioned it quite a few times about content marketing being a business model approach. That's it's right. A, it's not a tactic. It's an, it's an approach that you can make as, as an organization, an enterprise, and if I'm the editor, and I'm not gonna, I'm, I mean, we're not gonna throw you know TechCrunch under the, um, you know, we're not, I'm not gonna go that way and say that TechCrunch shouldn't have published it because they're after eyeballs. They like, I mean, the, the thing has got no, five thousand plus shares. Look, it's great. It's a, it's fine. The discussion is great. The discussion is great. But but yeah, be prepared, right? You know. Well, be, I would I would if I'm the editor of that article. I'm I'm simply pu- saying, you know, you really go into inbound and content marketing quite a bit, but I don't think you really covered it the way that the industry covers it. So let's do a little bit more research there. Well, that's let's well, that's the, that's how I started out my con my my comment was by saying basically he the the author sort of suffers from the thing that he laments, which is is that nobody actually took the time to learn about marketing, and he clearly didn't take the time to learn about what really inbound marketing or content marketing is. If he'd come out on the other side and said, I've read this, 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 and this, and this is what I understand, and I still don't agree, I can appreciate that. But the fact that he didn't even bother to look at our publications and the thing that we do, and you know, like I said in the comment, the name of our podcast is This Old Marketing for Crying Out Loud. I mean, it's yep. it's you know, I mean, we 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 are so upfront with the idea that this is not a new practice. We I mean we have so many pieces of content that talks about how it's old. It's it, it is it has been around forever. The there is a new opportunity with it because of the technology and the democratization of publishing. Anyway, I'm getting off on a rant, and I don't mean to. But well, I mean it's it's, it, it's it. Honestly, the approach itself has been around before the four P's became the four. Of P's. course, that's the whole point. So. Of my, it's the talk I'm giving here at Social Marketing Media or Social Media Marketing World is the the whole point. The that content marketing in many ways predates what we think of as classic four P's marketing. It it certainly predates the four P's. You know, and I can show you that. Um, that the practice actually predates that. You know, four Ps weren't in, weren't didn't get invented till the 1960s. Ah, anyway, yeah, there wasn't even there wasn't even an alphabet. The alphabet didn't even go to P, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the, 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 this is how I'll leave it. We predicted yeah. this would happen. I mean, yes, Content Marketing World 2015. We said that these articles are going to come out. We should expect these on a weekly basis now as more and more um, enterprises, business owners, marketers are being are frustrated with their yes. own results when it comes to content marketing because they're not doing it correctly. That's right. Well, and, um, and that's where I'm working on. You've gotten a little bit of a hint. I've shared some of the thinking with you through emails and stuff about, you know, and I'm coming out, I'm going to hopefully come out with a a bit of a, you know, hopefully a course correction sort of subsets of thinking about this. And, I, you know, we hinted at it earlier. It's really, it's the, you know, I, I liken it these days to 
we need to stop thinking about content marketing as an alternative form of marketing. It's a yep. different activity altogether. And it's just, you know, and it's so it's it's about, you know, it's like product marketing. Nobody would mistake product marketing with advertising. Product marketing as an activity is an entirely different business practice. And so we need to look at content marketing in much the similar way where it's a different business practice that ultimately is performed by marketing skilled people, but it's an entirely different practice altogether. And we just, I think we need to start talking about it in those Well, terms. actually, Michael, on, on Content Marketing Institute's site today, so this is Sunday, and he had a really good article, which, which almost seems very basic, like we shouldn't have to do it anymore, but he basically goes through what's the difference between content and content marketing. Because a lot of people think it's the same. They think all content, and that, and actually the article, the TechCrunch article says that it's like content. Content is anything, you know. Just throwing out, it's, but it's different. That's this is the approach. It's the model. That's right. And yeah, I mean, advertising content, product content. You've got website content. Anything a pixel can be a piece of content. So it's just a little bit different. But you, yeah. so you like the other now the marketing land article. That's right. So just to you pivot like this, this all the way around with the you know because what I what I thought was so a nice mirrored sort of look at this is this article from marketing land uses the same terminology. Basically opens up by saying the content marketing industry has a problem, and if it's not careful, it could go the way of traditional advertising industry. He says, if you're reading this, odds are you work in content marketing. You either create content on behalf of clients or develop content in-house. You present content marketing best practices, set strategy, help colleagues or customers become better content marketers, uh, and on and on and on. And the problem, he says, is that content marketing experts have become infatuated with their own content marketing genius, and we've created a cottage industry of meta content marketing. In other words, content marketers writing about content marketing. And he says, if it's not going to, if he says, if we don't evolve that, we may end up in the same kind of predicament that the ad in industry is in right now, sort of a inside baseball, looking out kind of idea. And this, to me, was what that article, that other article should have been, which is basically saying, look, if we don't evolve, if we don't look at change and we don't look at constantly looking at that evolution, we are going to, you know, this is no better than where we're, you know, then the change we're actually trying to emerge from. And I thought this was just, I thought it was a really good piece. Well, I mean, I, I, the whole middle part of this article talks about content creators creating content because we can. And like, we are in awe of what we have made and how much we have That's made. Right. And we plan to make so much more than that because we can. And, and the problem is it's because we can and not that we should. That's right. I was That's just, right. I just gave, I gave a presentation last week to a bunch of small business owners and they were all, you know, all, very excited about content marketing and learning more, and I'm, that makes me happy, and I like that. But as we're going around and talking with everybody, I basically came to the point where just because you can publish doesn't mean you should. Right. Doesn't That's mean exactly it makes right. sense for you as a business. Yeah, it doesn't mean it makes sense for your business. And, you know, we were going through, do you know the, a the average company there, you know, communicated with each individual audience 10 to 12 different ways? And I said, I don't know if you need to do that. I don't know if you need it. Do you even know what, what your Facebook page is for? Right. You That's know, right. Do you, don't, do, please don't bring up Snapchat if you don't even understand who your <laughs> audience is you're targeting and why you're doing it in the first place. So, yeah. But, I, I mean, the whole idea of – and then, you know, why does content marketing fail? And that's why I, I like the idea of, you know, seeing what happened with the advertising industry. And we, we – 
we talk about this all the time. It's we're choosing campaigns over consistency. We're we're target we're we're choosing to talk about ourselves over audience focused storytelling, and we are choosing not to have any real corporate goals and focusing on vanity goals instead instead of like a real business strategy. And yeah. this is this is and it's not just a small business problem. Obviously, this is an enterprise wide problem. Where well, you it's and, a, and it's almost these yeah, and it's almost and they don't they don't have it. Yeah, it's almost more pronounced in enterprises because of the siloed and layered nature of all the teams that are now empowered to create content for external channels, right? And so somewhere along the lines of developing technology tools that enable us to create content, metrics, employee, employment metrics, in other words, uh, you know, sort of how I'm judged in my job – Somewhere along the line, every person in the stratosphere of a company got uh, got some sort of content creation metric associated with them. And so PR has a content creation metric, you know, and so does the email team and the web team and the e-content team and the social team and the social CRM team and the brand team and the ad team and the, the all these teams that are creating content in ever sort of smaller layers of the buyer's journey – and it just ends up in this sort of surplus of gunk that sort of just spews out from the company that's not very good, but it's all based on employment metrics that are based on quantity. In other words, I get bonused if I hit my four white papers per year sort of quota. And that's just the wrong way to think about it because it encourages us to do mediocre stuff. And that's that's one of the biggest challenges that I see in, in, in companies today is, is that there's this sort of still this myopic focus on busy equals productive, and it's just not true. We have to sort of back out of that because technology has enabled us to be not very busy but to produce quite a bit. And if we keep continuing to sort of equate busy with productive and the technology improves to such a degree that we can output – eight or 10 or 20 or a hundred times what one person could normally produce, well, then all we're doing is our a huge disservice to anybody who's expecting something valuable from us. Well, well that I'll was, put, that was pretty right, good. I was, that, that was actually pretty good. I, I, <laughs> what well, well, was pretty good? Like what you just said was, yeah, good? that was pretty good. I was pretty, after well, I finished that sentence, I was patty, like, yeah. wait, we're mid podcast, and you're patting yourself on the back here to, for yes. something you said. I, I'm sorry, but I, I I was pretty proud of that we've, last sentence. We've I really was, uh, gone downhill with this one. I think yes, you're very smart. I, I, <laughs> Thank you, Joe. It was wonderful. I appreciate yeah, that I validation. You. Yeah, I, a little virtual tear just ran oh, down no. my um, crying the, out loud. I think no, it was great. No, really, it was uh, the. I think the, the other thing is is that you've got sales that still dominates, especially in B2B. Sales still dominates, and the conversation around the content creation and distribution team revolves around leads. Yes. Leads, leads, leads. That's right. That's right. And, and it's very hard to build a loyal relationship with an audience when your first your, – your first um, your first move is to, the, to get the lead and not the subscriber. That's where right. We propose build the subscriber database and the relationship with the subscriber, and the lead comes from first being a subscriber. Yeah, it's, it's a much it's so, better way it, to go. But but if you've got a lead goal, you, you're and you're the content creator, you're like, I can't afford to invest time in this and to really think thoughtfully about my content. 
because I got I got this league card. Exactly right. So exactly right. That's it, that, that touches a little bit. It touches a little bit on the rave that I'm going to have uh, toward the end of the show. But that, that I, that's so it's so true. I just got I literally got a uh, a message. This is an article we're not covering on the show, but uh, I got a tweet from someone who forwarded me an article, and the article was like, you know, enough of this content marketing. We need insight marketing. And and then the article yeah. and, and then the article went on to go and say that content doesn't mean anything, but insight does, and therefore all of our content should be generated to 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 to, to deliver insight. And she was like, "What do you think about this?" And I'm like, "Well, I agree, but I would just call that good content. I, you know, I don't know why we have yeah. to get all hung up over anyway. It's just yeah, it's that it's um, yeah. Well, it, it, the the last thing that I'll leave in this whole thing is. You know, we've talked about this on the show before, but we use content marketing not because we're trying to force it down people's throat. It's because we've done many, many years of testing. And that's the term that resonated the most with chief marketing officers, VPs of marketing and enterprises. And it's not even close. Right. Between custom publishing and custom content and inbound marketing even, which I, I believe inbound marketing is more of a small business term. You know, when you, when, when you and I go into large you know, enterprise marketing teams, nobody talks about inbound marketing. They don't even, I've never That's even right. heard that said. In That's exactly enterprise. right. That's a That's small right. Well, some of the larger, term. some of the larger B2B companies are, are, are using it, but yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. B2C companies, not even a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So the point is, is that we use the terms that we're going to see progress happen. That's that's all we're trying to do. If 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 somebody said, "No, you got to use insight marketing," and that's the way to get marketers to think a little bit differently, we would take a look at it. Yeah, I don't care if it's called mashed potatoes. If it's uh, you know, if <laughs> you know, it should be called mashed potatoes. Hashtag mashed potatoes. There we what, go. Whatever, whatever, whatever it takes. Absolutely. So, all right. Shall all we right. move? Shall we move along then, and 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 move might, on down yeah, the road? Might as well. Okay. Go ahead. So uh, this article comes to us courtesy of Digiday. Um, and the article is the newest rainmaker at publishers is e-commerce editors. Uh, the article opens up by saying, with online advertising under pressure from all sides, publishers are increasingly looking to commerce to bolster revenue, to Joe's pitter-patter of his little heart. Uh, that's given rise to a new class of employee, the e-commerce editor. Publishers from Business Insider and Gawker to Hearst and BuzzFeed have not only added commerce to the revenue mix, it's often little more than affiliate links, but... They've hired out editorial staff that specializes in creating commerce-minded content. These new content, C-O-M-M, content creators uh, need to be one part editor and one part salesperson. So, what did you think about this, Joe? What did you think this, this? This was fascinating to me because it 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 reminded me of that piece that we covered. Um, I guess it was six or seven shows ago where we talked about the new social platform becoming a job at these big publishers, and now we're seeing an e-commerce person platform becoming a new job. I, this was this seems to me like publishers are really moving to innovate in this space. Well, I, I think it's a continuation of what we're seeing the media business model evolve, and it has to evolve, obviously, because the media business model will not survive on advertising and, and doesn't survive on advertising in, in 99% of the cases. So yeah. when, I, when, I, when I read this, I thought about, uh, we've covered this on the show, but Gwyneth Paltrow's site, Goop, 
which is right. The, you know, she has yeah. a fashion lifestyle site that is a full on e-commerce play. I mean, this is what they do. They publish super interesting uh, content to get you excited about a particular product. They've got affiliate links in there, and that's how they drive their revenues. And I think with the demise of the advertising business model, we're going to see more of this. I think the challenge, Robert, is that this can't just revolve around affiliate links. This is why this is just your baby step forward. I think ultimately for for the publisher's business model to really take shape and to really be something, you have to actually develop a product. Right. It's a or a suite of products. <laughs> and that's I could not agree more. I mean, the whole affiliate thing really has been around for a, a good number of years. Long time. I mean, I yeah. you know, I remember gosh, in 2002 or 2003, I set up a blog to sort of try and create affiliate links and make money that way. And, and, and what I have seen, and I think is right to your point, which is it's a fractional business that continues to get more and more fractional over time because it's just a race to the bottom of trying to see who can give me the cheapest traffic, right? And so Goop as a, you know, as a valuable publishing platform the real value is in their relationship with an audience their relationship is not to just be a traffic magnet for other commerce providers and to you know and lead generators because that just will it it has to decline in value over time it just does it's a race to the bottom it's 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 exactly right and so to your exactly to your point ultimately we these as if we're a publisher or we're a brand and the takeaway here is as we start looking at creating our own versions of these and I was just working with a manufacturer the other day who who sells through e-commerce, big B2B, not big B2B company, but a big B2B. They're primarily focused on B2B. And they sell like safety products and that sort of thing. And they created a digital magazine that lays over this kind of commerce links to directly sort of educate people to all the different kind of products that are there because they've got, you know, 50,000 SKUs and they're trying to educate to all the things rather than in a catalog format, more in a, hey, did you know about this? And did you know about that? And did you know about this kind of thing and make it more of a magazine sort of experience? And that is the real takeaway here as we start looking at jobs and how they scale in an organization, looking at someone at focused on how does the e-commerce piece fit into my publishing strategy, I think is a core component of this. This is the thing that I think we can learn from what's going on here. Yeah, I think slowly you'll see the advertising line go down on the P&L. Right. And you'll see this, whatever you call it, this e-commerce line go up. And it's always going to be an ancillary portion of the business model until you decide, well, we can't just throw off leads to other people. We need to we need to have this be part of the fabric of our company and what we're going to ultimately offer. So it's a great actually, I like it as a test play. It's like, yeah, hey, wow, this right. could be something. Maybe this is the few. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time with media executives over the past few weeks at multiple events, and. The, the core model right now for most B2B and B2C publishers, especially B2B publishers, uh, are events. Where That's exactly drive, right. Spon- sponsors will still pay to you know, get in front of somebody, and also you've got the registration revenue. So you're directly obtaining revenue from a customer, from your audience. Um, and then, okay, that's a great start, but what other products can you offer directly to your audience and I think that's where we get into some bigger issues. So I think, yeah, yeah great. I love this. I think it's the first step. Uh, we need to see more of this. And I'm, I'm just waiting for multiple 
large publishers, media companies to come out of the woodwork and say they've launched XYZ product. Yeah, and I think you know. So, so just to the, the to the theme of the show of of fixing things that are broken, I think it works on two levels, right? I just exactly to your point, I look at these publishers that are trying to fix a broken model and starting to look at pulling in more direct relationships with product into their business model as a really interesting trend. And then on the brand side, as a marketing guy, trying to look at how content marketing can help a a, a practitioner of marketing in there, so much of what we focus on is a separation of layers between content selling and the the lead, quote unquote, and then pulling them into some shopping experience. And what I'm seeing here is, is that there's a real opportunity to sort of merge those two things even further where the experience is the shopping experience it's just a different kind in other words we don't have to have a content platform and a catalog necessarily unless we do right we can have a content platform that starts to become much more than a catalog but becomes serves the same purpose as what a catalog did yeah and it's and that's that's a really different business model. Oh, it's different. It's really, companies. really different. Yeah, it's yeah. really different. And I understand that it's fraught with, you know, sort of unique situations and definite, you know, it's an evolution, et cetera. But I'm seeing like this one B2B company that I told you about earlier, they, they're really starting to get a lot of traction from this. They're really starting to see a lot of increased shopping cart activity because the clients that they're sending these emails to that they're subscribing to this wonderful content you know it's thought leadership and it's how to's and it's educational based content are starting to really see like oh we didn't even know that you sold that or we didn't even know that that product existed they don't have the time in their day to sort of scour the catalog like they used to in the 70s and 80s they would go page by page through a 300 page catalog now they just don't have time for that anymore. So putting it into context actually offers them a way to offer up multi-product solutions, but do so in an entertaining and educational way. It's just a, it's a really different way of sort of taking the time and attention advantage that you can from your customers. Do we have uh, do we have time to do one more? We do. do. We have, yeah, so we, we do. Which we is the okay. no, no. This is we we have time just to do this our last uh, our last piece for the show, um, which actually is this the mirror image of this, and 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 I know you've got a big take on this. This comes to us courtesy of the Guardian, though many many papers and and online magazines covered this um, with around BuzzFeed, and, and BuzzFeed basically had a really bad quarter. Um, they projected revenue was a big miss. They missed their financial ta- uh, target. And the article in The Guardian opens up by saying the digital media company is, quote unquote, very comfortable, it said to the Financial Times, despite a report that the internal financial targets were missed by over $80 million. BuzzFeed was forced to cut its 2016 revenue target from $500 million to $250 million. That's half. That is half, folks. After missing its 2015 target by more than $80 million. Um, BuzzFeed missed internal financial targets in 2015 um, and had to substantially cut its projected revenue by about half again. Um, so BuzzFeed is really hurting right now after all this wonderful success we've been lauding on it. BuzzFeed's really hurting right now. What did you, what did you make about this? You know, there's a couple things, and it's so interesting. I, I have a, a portion of my presentation that I've been talking about BuzzFeed specifically and it goes it of course we talked about this last week about renting land yeah and uh, the whole rent 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 thing and <laughs> the idea it, it 
and I'm and I show a picture of BuzzFeed and I show how you know, like if you engage in a piece of BuzzFeed content, you sort of follow the breadcrumbs, you end up getting a lot of, hey, sign up to this e-newsletter. We would like your email. And a lot of people that I show this to are surprised because BuzzFeed, of course, built their I don't even know if they are a multi-billion dollar valuation, but they were at a time. They probably that's probably under a billion dollars now. But they built this multi-billion dollar valuation on the back of the fact that they had these wonderful social audiences, large social audience on Facebook and Twitter and now Snapchat. And they were able to monetize that with you know, the type of content that you can expect from BuzzFeed. And I show this picture and, I, and we talk to the audience and I say, well, why is BuzzFeed doing this type of thing? And I said, well, really, they are freaking out. They're freaking out right now because their audiences are owned by other people. Right. And now you've got the Facebooks and the Instagrams of the world and Snapchat's not there yet, but they will. They're going to tighten that and tighten and tighten it. And you're not going to be able to reach that social audience the way that you used to. Because, of course, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and everybody, they want to make money. So they're going to make it pay for advertising. They're not going to get that, let, let that go through organically. And so you've got BuzzFeed moving to email. So I think that they're in this process now. And, of course, we've seen now with this article, you see what's happening. When you focus, you, you rent your audience and leveraging somebody else's platform, you have no control. BuzzFeed has very little control in a lot of ways over the majority of the revenues that come in because they're trying to reach that social audience that they don't own. The second thing that I would say, and then I want to get your take on it, is it's very challenging to be successful as a content marketer or a media company when you have such broad content. And yes. it's getting broader and yeah. broader, and they're going wider, and we talked about this. Yeah, we talked inch, about this last week. It's yeah. deep and a mile wide, right? Yeah. We just talked yeah. about this. It's hard to specialize. It's the specialized media companies. It's the specialized uh, programs, content brands that enterprises are creating. That Those are the ones that will do really well, focused on one audience and focusing on a very particular thing that you can actually be the leading expert in the world. And I'm you know, looking at these results, Robert. I don't, I don't know if they can make the turnaround. I, I mean – Maybe they can. Maybe they can move it to email. But even at the same time, they're so broad, it's going to be hard to bring that around. I mean, I don't know if you think so or do you well, think Well, so? I, th- I think – well, here's what I think. I think if they can get their heads around right-sizing the business and, – and I know that's a that's one of those terms that – it was funny. I was going back and forth. That's not what they want to hear, yeah. right? No, because, that is not what they want they're not growing at an exponential level that's anymore. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. And so – you know, I, I, you know, look, there are a few things at play here. I think social audiences are, are one of them for sure, just exactly to your point. I think the other thing is they were way overvalued. This, they, you know, they, they were hyperinflated. They were, they were due to get, they were due for a correction anyway, um, just by sheer means of, of the competition coming in and, and sort of doing what they did, right? And so, you know, that was that was bound to happen anyway from a first mover advantage to sort of, okay, now what's – look, 200 if, – if it is indeed true, $250 million, that's still a really good positive business. And, that's right. You know, yeah, you know, in today's world, a, 250, a $250 million magazine is a, is a real – that's a real business. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I, you know, you'd know better than me, but I, I have to figure that that puts them in the top echelon of publications yes, in terms of a absolutely. revenue number. And so when you look at a, a, a publication like that, that instead of doing $500 million is going to do $250 million in a given year, 
assuming they can right-size the business to make it like that and that becomes a sustainable thing or they can pivot into that, then I think they succeed. If, if, they, if their investors and everybody involved is to, are, are sort of past that point of they were going to you know, hit the ball out of the park or go home, you may find them sort of imploding in on, each, you know, in on itself. That's a great point. And that, that's the issue, and, and it just depends on what kind of VC and angel investment money they have and what those expectations were. Yeah, but if you can't right. go back and say, look, we're okay with 15 to 20% growth, which is fantastic if they yeah. could get that in, in a media business we talked about, instead we, and of we, this 100% growth thing. That's exactly – we talked about this last week when we talked about Prevention Magazine, right? We, and the, 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 when we talked about the, the owner of the magazine sort of shutting down ads – and basically going to a pure subscription model yep. and saying, look, yep. you know, I expect my subscription, my subscriber levels to drop to, you know, I, I've, I'm forgetting the exact number, but, you know, I yeah, think, I think she, it's uh, it was like 30, 40 percent, a couple million. And now it's at like nine hundred thousand. Yeah, something it's like, like you know, that. 30, 40 percent of, of a drop in subscriber rates, but they'll make more money because they save the costs of printing that many magazines. And of course, they say you know, they actually turn it into a profitable business. And your point last week, which was, hey, this is, you know, look, I, I wouldn't have gone this far. And but, you know, but good for them. They can actually right size the business to something that makes sense. Yeah. So anyway, that's where we are. Great point. Great. Yes. Point. Well, OK. So speaking of revenue models, we have a lovely, lovely sponsor <laughs> that we need to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. And once again, thank you to our wonderful sponsor, GoToWebinar. Robert, did you know that webinars are consistently – if you don't know this by now, you've got issues. You know, I've, right. Webinars are consistently rated. By now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Didn't I do that last week? the number week? one marketer. Oh, God. Yeah. Number one marketer tactic for lead generation with over 60% of all marketers utilizing webinars. But many businesses still struggle with how to find their target audience and deliver the right message. Follow here a simple five-step plan. The keys to using webinars for successful lead generation go from daunting, daunting to, doable. to doable. That's right. From Hashtag. finding your audience and developing <laughs> engaging content to authentic interaction and webinar promotion, you'll discover the five steps. If they don't attract. do T-shirts, daunting and doable, I'm going to be hurt. They have to do T-shirts that say daunting we'll have to, to talk doable. with them. Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to talk with them because I think daunting to doable is is a catchy thing. And, it's a great or thing. or an annoying thing because we sort of play with it every week. But there you go. Uh, you'll discover the five steps to attract your target audience to your next webinar. It is a great ebook. You've got to download Wonderful it. E-book. Download it here at, at bitly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience. Bitly.com slash go to webinar dash attract dash audience or go to thisoldmarketing.com. Go to any of our <laughs> show notes that are uh, delivered every Saturday and you can click on it, download it, share it with your friends. And actually, it's done really, really well. So, oh, good. Uh, it's thank it's you just to all a, those people it's a really good ebook. It. It's just a really good yeah. ebook. It is a good ebook, and it's good that all you people that are listening actually check it out because it yes, helps us too. Absolutely. So we, we appreciate we like that. this. We, we appreciate like so that. Thank you to both sides. It allows us to be snarky each week. So that's a, exactly. that's, that's a good thing. Exactly. All right, ladies and gentlemen, speaking of snarky, it is time for your favorite segment of the show. It is our part where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that, you know, makes us feel like something's completely broken or makes us feel like, quite frankly, we fixed it and you have that sort of high five moment when you actually fix something around the house. So uh, something that makes us feel like that. And let's see, you go first because you have this old marketing this week. I do. I have this old marketing. And honestly, Robert, I don't know if this is a rant or a rave. 
but I know but what I just, it is, so, and so I agree with yeah, you. I'm not sure whether it is, it is so either. I, yeah, I just finished uh, reading the much-anticipated book by Dan Lyons, former marketing fellow at HubSpot, uh, who left to write uh, full-time on the hit show Silicon Valley, and I think he also is at uh, Gawker as well. Um, fake Steve Jobs, book yeah. Called, yeah. Yeah, fake Steve Jobs, great writer, uh, and so the, he wrote this book called Disruptive, but Disrupted. And I had so many people that were texting me, calling me, saying, Joe, you have to read this book. Of course, uh, you know, we were mentioned in it. Uh, there's a funny little section where he talks about he cringes a little bit that there's actually a Content Marketer <laughs> of the Year award, which right. I thought was kind of funny. Um, but I have to say, Robert, it was difficult to read this book in that I knew almost everyone being talked about in the book, even though some people weren't named directly. Um, <clears throat> Honestly, just reading it made me feel sorry for HubSpot that their dirty laundry was aired in such a way that it was by Dan. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if any, I think any company that, you know, you just, you, you, everything about your essence of your organization was in a tell all book. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be tough. But let's chat a bit about the book. First off, it includes some amazing insight into the culture of today's technology startups, not just HubSpot, but other Silicon Valley startups. And at the same time, there are parts that are, really laugh out loud funny uh, where I had to read them over again because I thought they were that good. Dan writes in a very simple manner and I have to say it was it was a hard book to put down. I ended up reading it in about two days and which is an accomplishment for me as you know Robert since I'm such a slow <laughs> reader so if I can read that in two days right? most of you might get take 45 minutes for the average person. Now the one in insight related to our podcast here is that HubSpot is an interesting case study that led with Mark, you said, of course, they had a product first, but they really led first with marketing. Sales and marketing got out in front of this. Even HubSpot insiders would say that the HubSpot product up to 2013 was inadequate while the company was growing at a 50% revenue clip. um, And HubSpot really became this marketing machine. And, And while Lyons goes into some of the negativity about HubSpot owning and marketing the term inbound marketing, you have to tip your hat to how quickly uh, HubSpot went out and own that term, mostly through their blogs, their eBooks, and and a print book uh, by founders Halligan and Shaw. Now, I'd rather not get into the details of some of the more questionable material in the book due to the many relationships that you and I both have on on both sides of this. But I do believe there there are a number of things that content marketers can learn from this book, so I recommend the read. And also just recommend it if you want a fun, quick read about a, a tech startup because he's a, he's a really good writer and really funny. Uh, but I wanted to get um, – I know you're like halfway through it. I don't know if you had a quick take on that. Well, here's what I'll say. I, I, I'll say that yeah, I, I, have, I, draw, I draw the same conclusions you do. Um, I might be a little uh, – you know, look, I, I mean it's hard for me to hear what is clear – look, I live in Hollywood. And I've seen plenty of true stories get made into screenplays and or television shows. And I know the liberties that get taken for dramatic license. And yeah. so, you know, and so the things that get cut out, the contextual things that get put together, characters that are combined, you know, two people are combined into one person. And so I, I, I'm, I'm well aware of, 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 you know, how the sausage is made, so to speak. And what i what i what, the the thing that 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 personally is hard for me is i know so many of these people and and i know what is in their hearts and i know who they are as people and to hear and to see the ridicule that they are put through is a tough thing 
because yeah. my you know it gets my 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 friend hackles all up and 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 I want to come to their rescue but I know that ultimately giving that noise is exactly the point right that's the whole that's the whole point of this is that it is getting an audience and attention and to your point it's an entertaining ride it's that's def you know he has he has given himself an entertaining ride so i look at it through that lens and go you know what it's mostly it's mostly fiction right the 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 sort of even though it's based on the truth and there's so much truth there it's not the real people the the real people will and are and will always be uh my friends and so there's that, right? Now, what I'll say about the the sort of startup culture and HubSpot and where they led with content first is, quite frankly, you cannot deny that they are an extraordinary success story. Here is a yeah, here, here is a company, here is a company that entered the marketing automation scene and let's be quite frank, that's what HubSpot is. It's a, HubSpot is a marketing automation tool. It is a different flavor of everything that we've seen out there in competition, everything from Marketo to HubSpot to Infusionsoft to Eloqua to all, you know, at all, right? And so they had a choice to make in 2007. Marketing automation was a well-worn market at that point. Inbound marketing didn't even exist. And so they could have come into the market as four guys at a picnic table at MIT and said, hey, listen, we're going to try and build this thing and compete in marketing automation for small business. And we're going to make marketing automation for small business. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to invent an entirely new category of marketing and then proclaim ourselves the thought leaders within it. That, to me, is genius. I, from mm-hmm. a marketing perspective, that is genius. That is creating demand in a marketplace where none existed before. That is, we have lauded marketers who've done that, like Walt Disney and Henry Ford. And I'm not putting them up there with those guys, but what they've done is that they've cr- completely created an industry by creating a demand using content to do so. And to me, that is the heart of of marketing. That is the heart of great marketing. It is the heart of going back all the way to the first story we covered. That is the heart of classic marketing. And so for that, I applaud them. And, you know, we'll see, can they execute and be a long-term, long-standing, 100-year company? Who knows if any company can be a 100-year company? But to, to criticize them for what, how they grew is a silly thing to me. Well, the average... Um S&P 500 company now, I think, lasts 20 years now or something yeah, like exactly. that. He actually talked about it in the book. So no, nothing lasts forever. But yeah, I, I, the same take. Yeah. So anyways, there good you. book if you want yeah. to read it. Uh, oh, I'm halfway through very, it. Very entertaining. Yeah. And there is I, I some very entertaining with, bits. Yeah. Yeah. I came away highly entertained with it. There was some very good insight. It was some laugh out loud funny parts. And I also was a little depressed by the whole thing. So, yeah. <laughs> there, <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. It's, there you a, go. It's, a cornuc- yours, it's a cornucopia of emotion. Um, I have exactly. a rave. I have a rave. Right. And, and this comes uh, courtesy, the, the article that we'll link to in the show notes comes courtesy of the Harvard Business Review. Um this is an article that it look if you're in B2C this is an article you can skip. You can you can skip this whole this whole piece quite frankly. This is required reading for any B2B marketing person wow. out there. It is required reading. It is a great 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 article. Um, and I know it's not terribly new, but the article's title is The End of Solution Sales. But what these guys do, what the authors do in this article is they basically go through and talk about how 
this research that they've done has shown how high-performing B2B organizations, and especially the sales reps, and this is a sales process sort of uh, article and talk that they that they've uh, and research that they've done here, and they talk basically about the evolution of what has gone on and in terms of the way that we used to approach solution-oriented sales versus what the high-performing sales organizations are doing now. So just as an example of this, they say basically in the old sales model, what you would do is you would target those individuals and those businesses that sort of had a clear vision of their goals, well-established processes for making a purchasing decision, and the criteria would be easily uh, observable. You could sort of triangulate the power positions and all of that. I can I can remember distinctly all the words that they use. I can, I can remember my days sitting in a software company sales meeting and having the VP of sales go, who's the power player? Where's the decision maker? How do we get to that person? What's the clear lines? I mean, they, it, we used to score leads based on that. That's the way leads were scored. And what they found is, is that now this evolution shows that the star performers now, these sales guys, are not, are, they're, they're, they're putting a lot less value, little value on these traditional uh, processes. And instead, they're emphasizing two very non-traditional criteria. Basically, one is the ability to act quickly. In other words, they're targeting companies and departments that can actually move quickly and aren't so hamstrung by silos and big bureaucratic decision-making processes. Um, And then secondly, they look for organizations or opportunities where the company is in some sort of turmoil, regulatory or uh, the internet or technology or something's disrupting their business. And so they're already in a flux, a a state of change. And then they sort of walk through each piece and how they sort of identify people that are not in the classic sort of the friend, the sage, the guide, you know, the gatekeeper, those sorts of things, but more sort of targeting change agents, the people who are dissatisfied with change or dissatisfied with the status quo. And even if they're not a decision maker, they're the ones, if you empower them to make change and make business cases, they can actually affect change. It's a fascinating read. It's just wonderful. It's very, very sales driven. But Here's the sort of draw all the way back to content. Every single person who's doing thought leadership or content marketing in a B2B organization needs to align with this kind of thinking because if you can start to align, I've been starting to call this like the three layers of thought leadership and where you've got sort of industry trends to sort of demand change. In other words, in other words, to inspire change, you've got to talk about everything that's going on from an industry perspective. That, to your earlier point in the show, is all about subscribe. Your whole goal there is to get people to subscribe to that change, to subscribe to your point of view on the change. Then there's a middle layer, which is this idea of, great, now that you're subscribed to change, what are all of the things that you would need to do to facilitate change in your organization, which maybe, quite frankly, have nothing to do about your product, but have everything to do about how you would facilitate that change in your business. And then the third layer is that once you've now made a roadmap for that change agent to go make that change, what that third layer is is all the sort of implications of that change. That's the technical white paper. That's the technology. That's the how-to. That's the best practices. That's the what other people have done sort of. The challenge in most content marketing organizations now that I see is we go right from the first to the third. In other words, we say, here's this wonderful vertical solution, this vertical trend that's going on. And by the way, here's a case study of how we did it. 
they skip that whole middle layer of which is how do we employ and empower a change agent to actually make that change. And if we can start layering this into this new idea in a model, I just think it's a very powerful way to do content marketing in a B2B organization. I just thought this article was fabulous. I, wow. I couldn't so hi- more highly recommend reading, it. Huh? Yeah, really recommend it. Oh, I'll have to read it then because I have not read it. Yeah, it's good. I it's don't. a sale. It's very sales. It's it's and we need to know about it because it's very focused on sales. But it's just I thought it was super smart. Just really smart. Very good. I am on that, and I am on are this all marketing this Yay! week. So you know, I was so surprised. I I thought we did this, but we did not. This is a this is one that everyone. I don't I people. don't believe it. <laughs> so uh we had a chance as a family to go to the science center in cleveland last week which is uh, science center is right next to the rock and roll hall of fame of course on uh, on the lake in cleveland and the special exhibit there was ripley's believe it or not and my boys now 12 and 14 loved ripley's when we went there in niagara falls a few few years back so we decided to check it out now there was this whole sh- section robert there on Ripley's The Media Enterprise. So, of course, I, I got really excited, and I said, this is a this old marketing example like <laughs> with my kids, but I'm, of course, right. doing work. So let me give you some backstory here, and then we'll get into what they're doing today. So Ripley's was founded by Robert Ripley, uh, and Ripley's deals with bizarre events and items so unusual that they're hard to believe, believe it or not, of course, but are indeed supposedly true. Now, the Ripley Connect collection today includes... 20,000 photographs, 30,000 artifacts, more than 100,000 cartoon panels, 80-plus attractions. Uh, Ripley Entertainment is a global company now, has annual attendance of more than 12 million guests. That's oh, my gosh. 12 Holy million. smokes. I know. Ripley's Entertainment's publishing and broadcast divisions oversee numerous products, uh, projects, syndicated TV series, newspaper, cartoon panel, book, books, posters, and games. Okay, so there's that. That's what they're doing today. Now, Ripley started his empire as a as a cartoon called Champs and Chumps in 1918 in the New York Globe, and this focused on sports. Now, slowly over time, uh, he added cartoons unrelated to sports, and in 1919 changed the title to Believe It or Not. As popularity grew... Uh, Ripley hired multiple researchers and syndicated the column slash cartoon so that it became read by over 80 million readers. Now, one interesting side fact that I found was that Charles M. Schultz, Peanuts creator, uh, started with Ripley's. Huh, so there you go. Fascinating. I know. Didn't know that, did you? You learned something new today. I believe uh, it. Shortly, <laughs> shortly after Ripley launched a series of books, first in 1929, then 31, 41, 48, and on, uh, at the same time, Ripley brought Believe It or Not to the radio in 1930. Now, broadcast varied in length from 15 minutes to 30 minutes. Then he accomplished a number of radio firsts, including the first to broadcast nationwide from mid-ocean as well as underground. Uh, the shows also included a bit of sponsored advertising entertainment from companies such as Paul Mall and General Foods. So they actually did native advertising programs. <laughs> Fascinating. Then. Uh, isn't that something? Uh, now, the radio show ended in 1948 and then switched over to television. Now, there's so much more, the short films, the musical shorts, the comic books, the strips, animated series, and whatnot. Now, Ripley uh, displayed its first public collection at World's Fair in 1933, and now that became sort of, oh, hey, this is part of the business model, and now there are 32 permanent Ripley's locations around the world. And overall, there there might be 
No other institution who has better told consistent stories to ultimately dive, drive revenue through in-person locations than Ripley's, perhaps except Disney. At least yeah. in, from what I can, from what I can make out with the twelve million sure. uh, annual. Oh my gosh! And that's isn't that something? So I, I can't it's believe we, we haven't done this story. one. No, it's a great Ripley's. Story. Believe it or not, yeah, that's this week's this old marketing. I absolutely adore it. All right. Well, I'm you know, so I'm I, I would ask you what you're going to do this week, but I'm I'm pretty sure I know. I'm going to see you in like 20 minutes because <laughs> yeah, we're going to yeah, we're going to go to the we're going to the speaker party. But then right. then you're I don't know how many days you're here. I have to leave tomorrow afternoon because I I leave I yeah I literally leave after my presentation. I jump into a cab and go to the airport. Where are you going? I'm going to Boston uh, to see the wonderful folks at Schneider Electric. Um, oh, okay. And right. uh, and do a workshop with those folks in uh, in Kingston, Rhode Island. So yeehaw! Very nice. So you've got that, and I'm flying uh, to Stockholm. Oh, that's to right. To, uh, I'll that's be keynoting right. uh, super content marketing. Uh, so <laughs> that's what a great name. What a great name! It's going to be super. Yeah, it's going to be super. So super content marketing. A lot of our friends are going to be there. Uh, so it should be fun. Uh, can't say I'm looking forward to the the flight, but. You know, we do what we got to do. So we'll, we'll both be Absolutely right. Absolutely right. All right, folks. Well, we are off. We are off to the speaker party here, here at uh, Social Media Marketing World in San Diego. So we are going to sign off for a good glass of wine and a good ale. For Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. And we, you know, want to thank you so much for the story ideas. Do tweet us up on the hashtag ThisOldMarketing to give us story ideas, this old marketing examples, all that you do. We so, so appreciate. Just know that. Um, and if you've got a question, you need to dig that email channel. Use it to send an email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number 127, if you can believe that, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links we talked about today with the show will be available in the show notes that come out on Monday night and, of course, in the show post that appears on Saturday at thisoldmarketing.com. Until next week, everybody, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.